Welcome to Season 5 of KnowledgeCast, hosted by Jack Williams. We're excited about this season's guest, and you can learn more about this new season along with our guest in previous seasons at jackwwilliams.com slash podcast. Now let's listen in to an all-new episode with Jack and this week's special guest. Well, welcome to our fifth season of Knowledge Class. Glad uh, that you join us today, and if you're a first-time listener, welcome. If you're one of our regulars, thanks for coming back. And today we're going to continue our discussion that we started last week with Bert Thornton. For those of you who missed our first episode with Bert, Bert is currently the Vice Chairman Emeritus of Waffle House. Previously, he was uh, served as President and COO, leading Waffle House in their greatest time of growth. And he's also responsible for one of the most popular items on the Waffle House menu, and that's Bert's Chili. Bert also is the author of two nationally acclaimed books, Find an Old Gorilla, the Pathways Through the Jungle of Business and Life and High Impact Mentoring, a Practical Guide to Creating Value in Other People's Lives. Well, welcome back, Bert. Thanks, Jack. It's great to be back with you. It's always a pleasure and an honor for me to be with you. Well, we enjoyed our first time together talking more about your Waffle House experience, but today I want to talk about um, your books. And uh, I want to jump right in and, and talk about uh, find a gorilla pathways through the jungle of business and life. And I know that just recently that also uh, won a national book award. Uh, start off by telling us about that award and, and then let's talk about your book. You bet. So find an old gorilla pathways through the jungle of business and life is uh, first of all, it's uh, the title is crazy, but the premise is if you wake up one morning and realize you have to go through a jungle, it would make sense to find an old gorilla like you or me uh, and take them along because the old gorillas know where all the good paths are and also the quicksand. So it's a leadership book about how to figure out where you are in life and what you really want, not what you think you want, but what you really want and how to find the right people to, to help you get there. Uh, it touches on the, the behaviors that drive success, the 10 basic laws of success, and talks about the successful leadership model, what successful leaders do and don't do, what they think about and don't think about. Um, it, it, it's been called the Rising High Achievers Guide to What to Do Next and the Emerging Leaders Handbook. Uh, the publicist for the second book called it Self-Mentoring in a Box because it was written for the mentee. And the Association of University Programs and Healthcare Administration, AUPHA, just granted it their national book award. It's called the Bugby Falk Book Award. And it is one of 18 books in 2022 and 2023 recommended in their programs in over 100 colleges and universities. Well, that's quite impressive. And, and having read it, I can understand uh, why it has warranted those uh, uh, awards. It's a very uh, quick read. It's a simple read. It's a very entertaining read and got great, great content, obviously. Will you talk about a list of things that unsuccessful leaders tend to do that hurt them as leaders. Most books you read about talk about what successful leaders do, and you touch on that as well, but you started off with those things that unsuccessful leaders tend to do. Tell us about that list and why you chose those particular items. Sure. Well, you know, all leaders have uh, traits that make them either great or uh, or or downfalls. And, and I tried to highlight both. Uh, you want to take the, what I call the basic leadership fails 
first. I'm happy to do that. I listed 11. Um, there may or may not be more, but um, unsuccessful or soon to be unsuccessful leaders, um, they do a lot of things in common. One of the things they do is they take shallow cuts. They, they give and take convenient answers. Uh, they blame other people uh, or the world for their problems. But the, but the really key fails that, that I bring out in uh, the book are, number one is self-promotion. Uh, it's all about me. I'm the, I'm the king. I'm the guy. Number two is arrogance. Um, and that means kind of you and your ideas don't count. Uh, I tell people that folks will forgive you ju for just about anything, but, but two behaviors. Um, one of them is dishonesty, which we'll get into in a second. But the second one is just being rude. People will not forgive you if you're rude. So another one is an abrasive style. I call it the my way or the highway style. Uh, sloppiness in behavior, dress, planning, even analysis will not serve you well. Being naive when uh, people tell you things and you you don't do your homework. Uh, dishonesty, lying, cheating, stealing. Uh, Abraham Lincoln got it right when he famously said, no man gets lost on a straight road. Honesty was, in fact, the best policy. So another one would be an uncontrollably bad temper. And, and this, Jack, this is the greatest employee turnover ever. Um, an uncontrollably bad temper just generates chaos in an organization. You're, you, you become completely unpredictable. Uh, another one is insecurity. Uh, and that manifests itself in people trying to make other people like them rather than leading them. Uh, lead, leadership is about uh, leading people and not letting them get lost. And it doesn't have anything to do with how popular you are. Popularity comes from your successful leadership. Uh, immaturity. Um, and people just will not put up with a leader who acts in an immature fashion. It's embarrassing for them. And the last couple are poor grammar. Uh, poor grammar is a great distractive to effective communication. It's uh, your command of the English language or whatever language you're talking in uh, marks you as someone who is either successful or unsuccessful or will be successful or unsuccessful. And then uh, lastly, in that section that I wrote, it's the inability to handle money. Uh, if, if you don't handle your money properly, don't expect other people to give you theirs to manage. So those are the 11 uh, leadership fails. You know, you mentioned unpredictable. I, I've always thought that um, that's one of the biggest drawbacks to, to a successful leader. You know, people can adjust. They can adjust to a bad leader, uh, but they what they can adjust to is unpredictability when they, they don't have any idea what to expect. Um, so Correct. I, I, I concur with you on that. You also talked about four things that leaders need to be competent in. What were you talking about there? Sure. So there's a difference between 
the the day-to-day worker and the leader. Um, I understand uh, leadership is not management and management is not facilitation. Somebody who simply facilitates a process has a different mindset than somebody who manages the process and that's a completely different mindset than a leader who leads the organization and leads um, the, the, the effort. Uh, leadership is more strategic while people who operate day to day, they're kind of boots on the ground, get it done. Um, it's more of a tactical effort. And in order to be strategic, uh, you have to be competent at four things. You have to you have to have the ability to understand concepts and ideas, and deal with them, as opposed to just day to day events. You have to understand. You have to be able to to manage and develop people, not just uh, get them to do things. But your your job is not only to to run the day-to-day process, but to help other people develop and become as successful as they want and uh, deserve to be. A leader has to be able to understand financial matters, both business and personal. Again, uh, money drives the ship. And if you can't manage money, the business money or your own money, uh, you can't be a leader. And then last Number four is understanding self-discipline, self-respect, self-confidence, and self-image. That is the most overlooked, but probably the most important, because if you can't manage yourself, I always tell people 50% of the leadership we get paid to provide is to ourselves. And if you can't manage yourself, you can't be self-disciplined, if you can't show the confidence uh, of a leader and uh respect yourself and respect others, uh, then you can't be a leader. So those are the four concepts and ideas, developing people, financial matters, and self-respect and self-confidence and self-image. I'm not going to ask you to do a second edition uh, in your book, but can I add one other? You know, I think admitting when you're wrong and moving on uh, is another uh, competency. You know, leaders sometimes think like they have to not be able to make any mistakes. And uh, the leaders, absolutely, one, ones that I have worked with that I've respected, have, you know, when they messed up, they admitted it. They said, well, we learn from it and just move on. And, Let's move, and, exactly. So and, true, Jack, and I came in, I have a, a, a real life experience with that. I'm on a board and uh, the, uh, actually the head of the board, uh, something happened and it didn't turn out well. And, that person started by saying, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this one is on me. Uh-huh. I did. It was wrong. And we great respect for that person. There are some other leadership skills that, you know, I, I gave you the big four, but I always tell uh, people that a successful leader is the voice of reason in conflict. Uh, a successful leader has to have depth of thought, strong core values, moral fiber. And here's the critical one. You've got, as you say, you've got to be willing to take full responsibility for all of your life and your business. I agree. Well, you also uh, refer to what you call social tells. Uh, Explain what you mean by social tells. You bet. 
Here's, and th this, this is critical, particularly when you're mentoring people, because people think um, when they're being mentored, it's, it's all about technical stuff or contacts or uh, advice. In a mentoring experience, that may not be where you have to start. Uh, if, if you're mentoring somebody and they say they want to be that next sales manager at Morgan Stanley, but they show up in ragged Bermuda shorts and a t-shirt, um, you have a different place to start. Right. Interestingly, when two people, when two people get together for the first time, there's a lot of evaluation, uh, going on and there is a, a, it's all done on eight personal behaviors, eight personal characteristics, and I call them the eight great social tales. It may be, um, it may be something that is that you're aware of, or it may be subliminal. But when people meet for the first time, they really do evaluate each other, and it's helpful to know this because if you're trying to make a great first impression. Um, you need to know what the other person's looking at. Certainly in a job interview, it's almost like having a copy of the cheat sheet. Right. Uh, and, but it's also helpful because when you meet somebody and you know, these eight great, I call them the eight great social tells, you can literally tell where people have been, where they are now and where they're likely to end up. And I'll give you the eight. Uh, briefly, number one, people think number one is appearance. That's not number one. Number one is attitude. Your attitude is the single most observed thing about you. The single most observed thing about you, more than your fancy car, more than your flashy clothes, more even than your amazing good looks. Your attitude <laughs> is the single most observed thing about you. It may not be the first thing noticed, but it's the thing most remembered and the last thing forgotten. So attitude is number one. Number two is energy. And by energy, we're talking about energy in the conversation. Um, is your voice uh, subdued or do you bring energy to the, to the discussion? Um, I always tell, I mentored a gal one time and she had everything bright, beautiful, driven, just, uh, but she did not command her presence and her voice did not command the confidence that you would expect. And I, here was advice I gave her. I said, look, raise your voice 10 decibels. When you talk to somebody, don't talk to them, talk slightly through them and paint your conversation right on them. And she did. And today she is uh, a very senior player in a very large organization in this region and she's had so much success. She was even, um, they did an article on her in, in one of the uh, regional magazines here. So bring energy to the conversation. Number three is appearance. And you have to, uh, you have to have a little deference here. When I talk to college kids on a college campus, you know what they're wearing? Whatever's in the closet. That's right. Okay. So And, and, iron, and iron, ironing is optional. That's that's it. They've probably never seen an iron. But, but when you're talking to somebody who wants advice on how, how to get a senior position downtown, you expect a different dress code. So appearance appropriate for 
the circumstances is what I look for. So attitude, energy, appearance, and number four is command of the language. Command of the language. Again, if 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 you if you don't speak properly and appropriately, it's a distraction to your relationship with the person you're talking to. It gets in the way. Um, I always tell people there are three kinds of of uh, of talk. Uh, you have overspeak, underspeak, and on point. Overspeak is when somebody tries to use words they don't understand, big words. Um, or they give you a they give you a paragraph when a sentence would do. Um, something like they say, I know you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not exactly what I meant. Right, right. I know you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not exactly what I meant. Instead of saying, you heard right, but I misspoke. So overspeak is one. Underspeak is is slang, um, inappropriate, uh, informal conversation in a formal setting, or uh, profanity is never acceptable in any kind of conversation. Folks who are profane think they're impressing people, and they are, but in a way that they wholly unintended uh, to do. And then on point is when you speak concisely and make people understand exactly what's on your mind in the appropriate number of words. So attitude, energy, appearance, command of the language, number five, engagement, not the ring on the finger kind of engagement, but your ability to engage uh, the other people in your conversation and have them engage you in their conversation. These are things that we notice. Um, conversational bearing um, is number six. Uh, are they leading, lagging, tracking? And you ever have a conversation where you just have to drag somebody through it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's frustrating. It wears you out. And, and, and we notice these things. So, And we also notice when people... Um, take charge of the conversation and then giving it and then just give it back to us in, in a wonderful way. Now, most of the time engagement is when it's successful, it's a two way thing. And it's something that we that we don't really notice. And many of these eight great social tells are like that. Um, we don't we tend to filter out the expected. Nobody gets up in the morning and says, gee, my teeth feel great again today. You know, what we expect, we just go on about our way. Um, but we notice things that fall out uh, dramatically on the positive side or regretfully negatively uh, on the bottom side. So uh, number six, conversational bearing. Number seven is demeanor. And that is, is this person thoughtful, calm, cool, collected, or frenetic and over the top. I mean, we've all talked to people who are the drama king or the drama queen and you get in the conversation and you just, you at one point you're, you're probably looking for cover. So attitude, energy, appearance, command of the language, engagement, conversational bearing, demeanor, and the last one is body language. There are hundreds of books written on body language. And if someone out there listening has never read one, I encourage you to pick up a book. Anyone will do uh, because you can uh, you can determine a great deal about what someone's thinking 
by watching the way uh, their their physical attributes are coming across. Um, you you look at the person's posture. Uh, you look for eye contact. Are they leaning forward? Are they leaning backward? There are many, many indicators that will tell you whether you're engaging this person or are they not. Now, I'll tell you one thing about um, body language that is a bullet that everybody needs in their arsenal. And that is if you want to really impress somebody and command their attention, eye contact with a sincere smile is the way to do it. That locks people in to what you're trying to get done. So that's that's what I call the eight great social tells. I want to add one to your last item there. Um, I've got a pet peeve of people that when you're talking to them, they're not there. And, you know, I say when you're with someone, be there. And, you know, a lot of people now talk about the they want to brag about how they can multitask. Well, I don't want to multitasking when I'm talking with them. If I'm talking with them, what I think I'm saying is important enough to have all of their attention. I, I have a pet peeve when someone is typing on the on their computer in the background on the phone. I'll just stop and say, and they said, no, go ahead. I'm listening. I said, no, I'll just wait till you finish doing what you think is more important than what I got to say. Uh, I love that. And that's all, that's that engagement thing. I mean, yeah. how, many, how many times have you talked to somebody at, at a, at a gathering and they're looking everywhere, but it's you. And yeah. Who's the next person I can talk to. Yeah. Yeah. Why, one mean, thing, one thing we do with our ideals kids, Bert is, uh, you know, they're juniors in high school and they're interviewing with colleges, some for scholarships, athletically, some academically, and just some just enrolling. And we make them the very first night in class. They have to, the second week in class, they have to bring a business card with their name on it. And I actually tell them exactly what I want on the card, how it's supposed to be written, where it's supposed to be laid out. And I said, I want you to bring 250 business cards the second night, if you don't bring them, don't come to class. And I said, when you visit and you meet an adult in a social setting, at a school or whatever, when you introduce yourself, give them your business card and watch the expression on their face because they're not expecting a high school senior to understand and have the maturity to understand that this is how you communicate as an adult. What great and advice. Differentiate yourself in a positive way. That's great. Um, well, last question I got for you, 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 uh, really important part of the bill, all of it's important, but you talk about eight really big decisions you make that determine where you end up in life. I'd like to close with that list. You bet. So I tell people they're, they're really, I mean, decisions come in all shapes and sizes and, but they're really only two kinds reversible and irreversible, uh, decisions, a reversible decision is, uh, and we've all done it, schedule a meeting on a holiday or, or buying the wrong shirt size. You just exchange the shirt or uh, you cancel the meeting and, and reschedule it. Um, this this is what you do for reversible decisions. You countermand the order and you, uh, you make it right. Irreversible decisions are decisions that uh, will affect you personally for the rest of your life or will affect someone else personally for the rest of their lives. And these decisions, um, they, they require greater thought 
uh, a lot more homework and a lot more care in, in, in the making of irreversible decisions. So I tell people that there are eight decisions that everybody makes that sort of determine where they end up in life. And the first one, uh, it all starts with high school and what you or your children do uh, after school, uh, after each school day is finished. And it's important to know that structure counts at that particular age. So after high school, do you play sports, band, drama? Do you join clubs? Um, or do you just go to the mall and hang out with your friends? Both of those decisions will take you down a different path to get started. And if your kids do hang out at the mall, at least make sure they're hanging out with friends uh, with ambition. Number two is if and where you go to college or trade school. Um, I think one of the great um, misgivings that we have is that everybody has to go to college. I think uh, I think not everybody needs to go to college. The trade schools are great. We need people who can make things, do things, fix things. Um, when your air conditioner goes out, uh, call a call a law graduate and see if he can fix it. Uh, somebody's got to hang those long lines so we we can talk and so if and where you go to college and trade school it's not just what you study but it's also the contacts you make for later in life and and future business relationships number three is where you go to work uh who do you work for and where it makes a difference uh i, I get asked i was asked one time uh, this fellow said, I, I, I want to go to law school. I want to be a lawyer. Which law school should I go to? I said, where do you want to end up? Where do you want to live? Uh, because if you want to end up in the Northeast, you go to Harvard, Yale, Princeton, one of those. But that's not going to do you any good if you go up there and you want to retire in Atlanta, Georgia. You need to go to law school in the Southeast at University of Florida, University of Georgia, or one of, one of those places. So it's, 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 uh, it's not just the study, but also uh, the contacts you make. And when you go to work, it's, it's, it's important who you work for and the city that you work in. That's a decision that will set you on a path. Number four, if and who you marry. Is your partner your social equal? Uh, does your partner have people skills? Does he or she share your ambitions? Um, does he or she balance your strengths and weaknesses? Uh, it's, I always tell people uh, after the heat dies down, just make sure you're married to your best friend because in the end, um, that's going to be the most important thing. Number five, where you live, where you end up, the city, state, and most particularly the neighborhood. Number six, whether you decide to have children or decide to have no children. And it's just a decision. Uh, you have more time early on with no kids and probably more money. But this can have a huge impact later with no continuing family. Uh, I've, I know folks who decided not to have children and they don't really regret it. But now they just sort of uh, sit home by themselves and they have no real uh, connection to um, I mean, they have friends, but they it's friends are not family. Uh, 
Number seven, whether or not you save money. Um, how do you handle your finances in general? Do you have a plan? Do you have a budget? Or do you just wing it? This is an important decision that will set you on a path. And number eight, how do you rate, uh, relate to the world spiritually? Do you have an organized religion? Uh, is your, are you personally spiritual? Or do you not uh, recognize that there's a greater force in this work in, in this world than you and me? Had a conversation yesterday, Jack, with a friend. We have a mutual friend who's battling cancer. And we talked about the power of prayer. And I don't want to get religious here on you, but in case. Um, you go ahead and preach, brother. It's fine with me. Well, no, I mean, um, I'm, I'm just always amazed that uh, every culture, and this is what I told my friend, every culture in the world uh, acknowledges there's a greater force in this work, in this world than you and me. And it's called by so many different names, God, Jesus, Brahman, Muhammad, Allah, Buddha. But every culture acknowledges that we are not in charge. We're not even trusted with the really important stuff. I mean, think about this. Since we've been on, in this conversation, um, how many times have we told ourselves to breathe? 17,000 breaths a day, and we don't think about a single one. 2,000 gallons of blood go through that heart every day, and we're not aware of a single beat. So we are not in charge. But you don't have to go to an organized church to feel that. You can, you can have a personal spirituality. And I told my friend, we were talking about the power of prayer. And I said, I've been so grateful because God apparently listens to me. Um, when I pray, I get results. Now, I will tell you that when I pray, I also work hard <laughs> right along God to produce what I'm praying for. Uh, but in the case of, of, of an illness, um, it's completely out of my hands. So number eight is how you relate to the world spiritually, whether it's an organized religion or a personal spirituality. Uh, but you need, you need to have some link to the fact that you're not in charge and you're going to need some help at some point in your life. Uh, on that last note, I, I have a different prayer group each day I pray for. And on Wednesday, I have my God only can prayer list. And those are the things I can't handle. I love it. <laughs> and, and, you know, if they're going to happen, they're going to be you. And 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 some of those answers are no's. Um, well, Bert, listen, it was just uh, it was a thrill having you join us for these two episodes and and taking the time to share your experiences and your gorilla wisdom. Uh, and I really enjoyed our time together. And um, I just uh, hopefully we can hook back up again in the future. Jack, it would be great. Call me anytime about anything. Uh, Waffle House 24-7, 365. We never close. Just give me a call. Thanks again for having me. <laughs> We're doing this in audio only, and, and it's killing me because in the background of Bert uh, on this Zoom is the, uh, uh, is the, uh, the Gulf a beautiful view of his house uh, uh, seeing the Gulf and it's killing me during this entire interview. So um, he's made some good decisions in his life. Let me put it that way. Well, folks, thanks again for joining us today. And I, and I look forward to having you back with us next week as we spend time with another interesting guest. And if you missed our first interview with Bert, 
I want to encourage you to go back and catch that one as well. You'll be glad that you did. And until then, make sure that you're being a positive influence in the lives of others.